This is most certainly true. The Lamb of God who was long foretold has come to be our sacrifice. Jesus offered himself and graciously shed his blood in our place so that we could be forgiven. And now we have the assurance of life and glory with him forever in heaven. Join us to look to the Lamb through this sermon recently delivered at Grace. The second reading from the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 10. These words of the Lord will serve as the basis for today's sermon. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. On a blustery 10 degrees below zero day, two children in the back seat begin to whisper. And then they begin to giggle and they nod in agreement and simultaneously each of them takes off just one of the gloves that they left the house with to keep them safe and warm. And without opening their mouths, they do a countdown with grins and nods. Three, two, one, and they both push the button to roll the windows in the back seat down and out their respective window goes their hand. Who can hold their hand out in the bitter cold the longest? It's a question a lot of kids wonder, and there's only one way to find out. Who can hold it out there in the bitter cold with, with the wind whipping its way as the car makes its way towards school at highway speeds? How much can you withstand? That's really a question that any weightlifter or bodybuilder asks. How much can I withstand? If they're trying to set a personal record, they'll figure out how much weight they can lift for just one single rep, and then maybe they'll uh, tick it up five more pounds just to challenge themselves a little bit. And so if 
The squat rack is where that weightlifter finds himself. He'll go and get one or two spotters, he or she, and then they will pile that weight on the bar and get ready and lift it up to see if their legs have enough strength to get one good squat in, down and up. How much can I withstand? How much can you withstand in life? Without downplaying the the serious struggles that I know that many of you have, might I venture a thought to you that the way that we answer those questions often is relative. There are many people in our world that would love to have your problems. The problems that you have at work sound like they'd be worth having for the person in the unemployment line struggling to figure out how he's going to provide for his family. The issues that you have with your children are ones that many, many people would go to great lengths to have because God hasn't blessed them in that way. It's been said in your home, I've got nothing to eat. I can tell you there are millions of people who would love to have the nothing that's in your pantry right now. How much can you withstand? Maybe the evening news is good for us, at least in this one Regard. It maybe brings us back to center just a bit. It maybe reminds us just how good we really have it. None of you today are wondering or, or worried that your house might be bombed out when you make your way back there after worship today. None of you are concerned about a neighboring country that's going to invade this place and turn this city into a war zone, but there are people in the world enduring that right now. I don't think there's anyone in this room who is worried about how the next meal is going to be put on the plate and the table. We have shelter and clothing and food. And even for those in our community who don't have those basic needs, there are programs in place for them to be provided for. This country is not perfect, but we have a lot of advantages living here in America. The Apostle Paul is sharing these words with his Corinthian friends members of the church in Corinth, and he wants to talk with them a bit uh, about advantages. And so he tells them about a group of people who were given every advantage. The nation of Israel had every advantage. They had God themselves as their leader. God picked Abraham out of obscurity and made him the father of many nations. And he promised them him a land and many blessings. God saved his people from famine by installing Joseph in the government in Egypt so that he could prepare for the lean years that were coming. God saved his people from the overreach and oppression 
of that same nation by raising up Moses, who stood toe-to-toe and nose-to-nose with Pharaoh and said, let my people go. God intervened directly on their behalf and parted the waters of the Red Sea so that they could make their way out of slavery on dry ground and then intervened again and caused those same waters to come crashing down on Pharaoh's army, winning absolute victory for them. And then he didn't leave them alone in the wilderness. He provided for them, bringing wonder bread from heaven for them to eat. Promising them that they would have clothing and sandals that wouldn't wear out. He provided for their physical needs. And more than that, he provided for them spiritually too. He was present there among his people in the wilderness in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night not just to guide them, but to protect them. They had every advantage. It was like a fairy tale. And you'd expect the story to end the way any fairy tale ends. You'd expect to hear that God's people lived happily ever after. But that was hardly the case. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud as they passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. What did Israel do with their advantages? What happened to the fairy tale ending that could have been theirs? You see, they cast those advantages aside. They took the presence of God among them for granted and failed to be the people close to God that God wanted them to be. They took for granted everything that God had provided for them and instead went their own ways and and followed after their own sinful thoughts and desires and most of them died as a result. Paul shares us his line of thinking why he brought this example up in the first place. He says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were as it is written The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Have we been setting our hearts on evil like Israel? That might seem like a harsh question to ask. You might seem to say or or want to say, I wasn't as bad as them. Maybe we haven't built golden cows and, and fallen down in worship, but there's plenty of idolatry in this heart, and I know it's in yours to plenty of things that we've set up to stand in God's place, our money, our precious time, you fill in the blank, what becomes more important in your life than God. 
Maybe we would never dream of visiting a prostitute like many in Israel did, but isn't it too often crude entertainment that really entices us? Isn't it the peer pressure of enjoying the blessings of marriage before those vows are taken that causes so many to stumble? Do not test the Lord. And isn't testing the Lord the subtitle of our autobiography? We test the Lord every day with the stubborn attitudes that, that we have, with the defiance that, that dwells within our hearts. And then God says, as if this list weren't damning enough, do not grumble. It was Korah, Dathan, and Abiram in Numbers chapter 16 who grew jealous of Moses God's chosen leader, and grumbled to the people and with the people and gathered a group that would follow them instead. On that day, 14,700 people were killed. If God acted the way that he did that day in our day, this would be a pretty empty church, including the pulpit. Let's suppose we can do a reset button Starting now, brand new, how long do you last? How long till you fall off the wagon and grumble? Do you make it to the end of worship today? Do you make it to supper time? Will the sun set tomorrow with you still standing if you're like me? There's not a chance. Too often we put false security in the lives that we've Live. Don't let yourself be lulled into feeling good because of your upbringing or because of the good life that you think that you're living. Don't be enticed into false security because of the advantages that you have. Don't let them blind you because they're, they're not worth anything. They can't provide the things that we truly need. They can't take our sins away and certainly can't win for us everlasting life. Too many of the securities that we surround ourselves with are hollow and empty. Paul says these things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Temptation is a part of life in this sinful world. It's common. Everyone endures it. But if you don't face temptation in the proper way, you will fall. How much can you withstand? If you think that you can face temptation on your own strength, you'll find out quickly just how wrong you are as you fall face first into the dust. But there's good news. The good news is that it's not up to us to face temptation. It's not up to how much we can withstand. The thing that truly matters is who it is that's standing with us. As we face the hardships and trials, the very real difficulties in our lives, it's not about like 
a weightlifter. It's not about getting a good base and then piling things on evenly. It's not about how strong our legs are to carry the weight that we have to carry on our own. It's about who is standing with us. The recipe to face every hardship and trial, persecution and temptation, it's the same. Who is standing with you? Paul tells us, God is faithful. He's faithfully standing at your side right where he promises he will be. He's faithfully there with you every step of your life, guarding and protecting you. God is there fighting your battles and destroying your enemies. And then he gives you the victory as a free gift of his grace. God is faithful. He promised he would send you a savior from sin, and he's done just that in Jesus. Jesus faithfully lived so that we could be forgiven our unfaithfulness. Jesus faithfully lived so that the law's demands could be satisfied, so that the Father could get what he desires. God is faithful. Jesus faithfully endured the pain and punishment that you and I deserved. He faithfully bore and willingly bore the wrath of God so that we could be spared Jesus knew that the wages of sin is death, and so he faithfully paid the price. The only price that could be paid so that you and I could have life with him. But the faithfulness continues. Our God is faithful. He comes to us in word and sacrament. He faithfully loves us and forgives us. He faithfully defeats us and strength defeats our enemies and strengthens us to face our battles against the evil one. Paul says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God is faithful to keep the promises that he's made, promises to be with us even when no one else will be He's faithful to his promise to love us even when we don't love ourselves. He's faithful to his promise to work out all, good, all things, even the trials in our lives, even the really hard things to carry. He works out all things for the good of those who love him, even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand. He is faithful. He strengthens us to be able to stand. He strengthens us to be able to endure the hardships that he's placed in our lives and the crosses that he has chosen for us to bear. And then when it's too heavy for us, when the weight is piled up beyond what we can handle, he says, cast your cares on me. Christ Jesus loves to carry our burdens. He loves to be our strength when we are weak, he makes it so that we can stand and that we can sing the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. In God's family, we have the privilege to stand and to serve and to live for the one who stood and served and lived and lives for you. Our God is present 
among us. From his sending Jesus to take on flesh to be our Savior from sin to his sending the Holy Spirit to dwell within our hearts, God is present. God is present among us in his spoken words of love and in a special way in his sacraments. God is present among us as he promises to never leave us or forsake us. God is present with us, which means that we can stand with him here on earth and forever, forever in heaven. Christ Jesus has withstood so much so that we could be forgiven. And because of what he has withstood, now we can live our lives for him. Now we can live standing as his redeemed and forgiven, empowered, and holy people. We can stand with him in full confidence, false security crushed. Genuine security in Christ in its place. It's ours because he is faithfully present for us. And because he is faithfully present for us and with us, that means that we will be joyfully present with him forever in heaven. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace, to support the work that we do to proclaim the love of Jesus in Milwaukee and around the world, and to find our schedule of special worship services, please visit www.gracedowntown.org today. And we'd love to have you join us for worship sometime soon. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.